Now we have a chance to talk on Max and Murphy. We, all, we often have uh, journalists on. We often have politicians on. And now we get to have someone who's a little bit of both. And that is our next guest, another candidate for public advocate. It's Nomiki Konst, who is a journalist and activist and one of the candidates for public advocate. Uh, welcome to WBAI. Hey, guys. Thank you so much. I'm glad I fit your quota. Thank yes, thank you. you. Thank you. You're, it's a twofer. Yes. Thanks uh, for joining us. So talk a little bit about that background. What's bring, what brings you to, uh, to the race? Yeah, I'm, I, I just caught a, a couple of seconds of, of what you were saying about the ombudsman um, role of the public advocate's office. Uh, you know, my my goal in, in running and my intent in running uh, really stems from doing what you guys do. I just happened to be doing research on what the public advocate's office was intended to do uh, because so many people had strong opinions about it and wanting to eliminate it, saying it didn't have power. And uh, the more I read about it and the history of the office, the more I thought there really should be somebody in this position who has investigative background, who has been an ombudsman or woman, um, and who is independent of special interest groups and, you know, separate from the political class. Um, I was convinced by a couple friends of mine uh, that I would be a good option for this race, given the tide of of progressive activism in the city that's turned into electoral wins um, and, you know, just the, the dynamics of this race. And the more that this campaign goes on, we're realizing that it's sticking with uh, our supporters as, as we've been able to build a truly uh, grassroots movement in just a couple of months, you know, with, without taking the money from the guys that, that really have been buying out our city for the last uh, 35 years, 40 years. So before we get a little deeper into your campaign and, and mm-hmm. your path to victory and some of the planks of how you'd run the office, just say a little bit about your background and, and sure. you know, sort of um, what you've done and, and your resume. Yeah. So most recently, I was on a commission uh, to reform the Democratic Party. I Years ago, I was a DNC member, uh, but I, I am not anymore. And when the DNC decided that it was time to reform itself, uh, they put together a commission that traveled around the country for two years. It was only 21 members. I was the youngest member appointed by Bernie Sanders. And my specific role on that commission uh, really came down to following the money and figuring out how the DNC basically uh, blew two million or two billion dollars excuse me two billion dollars in two years meanwhile in 10 years raised more money than ever uh, but lost over at that point 1200 seats so you know the budget was not public i had to do a lot of old school investigative reporting to figure out that the majority of the money went to about five dc consultants who had been sucking the party dry and as a result the party wasn't uh, putting money into state parties organizing recruiting candidates and of course messaging and the brothers, you know, really took advantage of that. They took over state uh, legislatures, and you know, now we, we have big fights ahead of us. Um, before that, uh, I was I was a surrogate for Bernie Sanders on the presidential campaign, and and in in between some of this, it's kind of you know the timing is on off on off. I was an investigative reporter for the Young Turks, a political analyst at CBS News, and as as you know, Ben, um, I worked with Wayne Barrett, uh, the late Wayne Barrett, on an investigative news fund. Uh, to to analyze New York City corruption uh, around the time of the Moreland Commission, before it started, during the Moreland Commission.
session uh, and a little bit afterwards. And, you know, that was probably where I, I, I learned the greatest tricks from the, the most recent greatest investigative reporter of our time, um, Wayne Barrett, who I was very close to. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I'd like to use those skills for this office of public advocate, since it is a check on city council, city agencies, uh, the mayor's office. I think it's important to have somebody in this office who has done that work. And I am uh, probably the only person who's actually been an ombudsman who's running to be the ombudsman of the city or woman, I should say. <laughs> Um, I didn't. I, I had forgotten or didn't realize that that, that was a Wayne Barrett project. That's someone who Jarrett uh, knew very well. Um, yeah. So let's let's look ahead. Then uh, mm-hmm. you, if you are elected public advocate, what does that look like? What is your mm-hmm. you know, let's just say first hundred days agenda in terms of getting yourself established in the office? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What are your focus areas? What are you doing? How are you getting the ball rolling? On day one, I will be calling for, and of course, this will require a public campaign and some charter reforms. I call for the public advocate's office to be removed from the line of succession to the mayor. I think the reason why we're in this problem today with 23 candidates, um, many termed out council members, uh, many lawmakers who are sick of going to Albany or have higher ambitions, uh, you know, they, they want to basically... They, they want a well-paid stepping stone position to hire office. Um, that corrupts this position. So number one, I would be calling for it to be removed from the succession to the mayor uh, and more similar succession lineups as other cities. Number two, I, I, I really believe that this office needs to be decentralized to have maximum power. Um, it is only a $3.5 million budget, but listen, one reporter uh, knows what they can do with a good research team. I think that we should have deputized public advocates in every city city council district. Um, maybe, you know, with the budget that we have right now, it starts off as volunteer, like a community board. But I think it's important to have trained individuals who are independent, know how to investigate, who know their communities, because no one public advocate at City Hall is going to know every single community in New York City, uh, so that we can catch things early on before they become major problems, like Amazon. I mean, if you really had folks examining um, uh, what was happening in Long Island City, very close to where I live, you'd know that neighborhood was rezoned. You'd know that um, many apartments were being sold out to Amazon employees before the negotiations even started. So that kind of stuff can be caught early on if you have eyes on the ground. Um, so number two is to decentralize the office. And number three, I, you know, I, I've been very vocal about taking on uh, big real estate developers. We are not taking their money. All the elected officials in this race have taken developer money in some way or form. Um, I think it's, it's due time that we take on uh, the industry that's made this city unaffordable, has given it the highest rate of income inequality in the country at the worst moment in history. Uh, I think we should demand commercial rent control. We should be with a huge public campaign. Um, and I, I, you know, simultaneously, I think we should be calling for higher wages. So the fourth thing that I'm calling for on day one is a 30 mil- $30 minimum wage uh, with municipal employees and all all New York businesses um, with over 75 employees because small businesses do spend most of their money on uh, rent. So we have to take care of our small business owners as well. So I was looking uh, in the clip file, and I think I found the first ever example of your activism, which is when you were eight in Florida, you oh fought, fought for a... <laughs> 
fought for a wall to protect um, like turtles and amphibians and stuff. Did you and some sort of, uh, yes. Uh, but since then, you've had, you know, you've had an interesting life. I think you've been in some movies. You founded an organization in Hollywood. Uh, you founded the Accountability Project here. You mentioned Young Turks. You ran for Gabby mm-hmm. Gifford's seat in Arizona. And then you mentioned your work uh, around the DNC. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of different hats to wear in a relatively yeah. young life. And so I guess the question is, where do you feel you've had real world yeah. impact? And what do you say to someone who might look at that resume and say, you've bounced around a lot. Where have you sort of mm-hmm. you know, set down roots and really put your nose to the grindstone? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So, so it's very funny you found that. Um, so I was eight years old. I, we, when I was a, a kid, my parents uh, moved my, long story, but my, my father was in Florida. His father had a law firm there and they lived there for three years. So I really grew up in, in Western New York, in Buffalo, New York. Um, so most of my adult life and most of my childhood was actually in New York State. So I did uh, found an organization that was based in Los Angeles and I founded it with a crew of other people. Um, after the Obama, after Obama got elected, but the focus was really around uh, reforming our political system and using the power, um, the, the megaphone, and the influence of of the entertainment industry on educating folks about issues that just weren't getting attention in the United States, like um, toxic water, like uh, you know campaign finance reform, and so that was the agenda there. So I'd say most of my work has really been around reform and activism. Um, in terms of the most impact I've had, you know, I'm turning 35 on Sunday, so. I'd say the last 10 years of my career have been very rooted in uh, taking on special interest groups, on campaign finance reform, on rooting out corruption at the uh, the base level, um, on economic equality. And and I think, you know, progressive populism has been an overlap throughout my life. So uh, whether it's, you know, being on the front page of the Palm Beach Post when I was, you know, seven or eight years old, however old I was, um, I was fighting for, you know, environmental change. I'm still doing that today. Um, I've always had progressive activism in roots, uh, and I think that that's that's been a constant theme of my life. You know, when I was in college in Arizona, I at University of Arizona, I um, was was very active in the the movement to uh, protect our undocumented people that were walking. Um, over the border, and we would set up water tanks at the border because uh, we had a Minuteman. Um, the militia groups down there were, you know, toxic and had really taken control of the legislature and were, you know, operating free reign. So I was working with groups um, down south at the border and uh, and in Mexico as well. So I think there's there's been a constant progressive activism um, throughout my career, and uh, you know, you could talk to anybody from the time I was eight years old on. <laughs> So we are just in our last two, three minutes here with Namiki Kantz, a candidate for public advocate in the special election happening February 26th. Mark your calendar. Get ready to vote in just a few weeks. Uh, and there's going to be some upcoming, uh, well, there's forums happening all the time, uh, but also two televised debates scheduled. But uh, the first one will be open to just about all the candidates who meet certain thresholds. And then there'll be a leading contenders debate after that. Uh, but Namiki, uh, one or two mm-hmm. more questions here. Sure. Um, there's been a lot of praise in this race for Tish James, who was the most recent public advocate before acting mm-hmm. public advocate, uh, city council speaker, Corey Johnson. But it sounds like mm-hmm. you're saying, you know, she was kind of asleep at the switch with regard at least to the Amazon deal or some of these other things that you're noting, you know, really need to be called out. So would you say, um, you know, that she didn't was not really um, the, the, the type of public advocate that the city needs? 
I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say it that way. I think that you know you can do two things at once. You can praise people what they do good, and you can, if we're in a in a healthy democracy, you should be able to to critique them uh, where they could have done more or they didn't do well. I think that's my take on on Mayor De Blasio as well, and same thing with Comptroller Stringer. Uh, you know, we have supposedly the most progressive city in the country. Um, some say I don't know about that. Uh, we have a progressive city council uh, where they're progressive on ninety percent of the issues, yet our income inequality is worse than anywhere else um, in the country. So clearly something is not working. We have a housing crisis. Uh, this, every single city lawmaker has has danced with, you know, the real estate industry has rezoned their neighborhoods. Not every single has rezoned, but they've, they've many have rezoned their neighborhoods. Um, so, you know, real estate is really who's in control of this city right now. And if you go back to the root, if you go back to the history of this office, as you guys know very, very well, um, it, it, it's here, the public advocate's office, in its limited form and its budget uh, that is, is quite small, is here to represent the most marginalized communities, the communities that didn't have a voice in the late 80s when real estate ran amok, when Wall Street ran amok, when there were corruption scandals um, every day on the front page of the Daily News and the New York Post, uh, when lawmakers were being locked up. Sounds a little similar to today, but it was much, much worse then. And and this office came into formation to represent um, those who, who were not given a voice in government. And unfortunately, I don't think that the office has really been used to its capacity. It is important to have subpoena power, but... As any person who's ever had to deal with uh, a lawyer in the past knows, just having a law degree does not mean you're able to take on major industries. Um, I think that Letitia James did a very good job when it came to, um, you know, filing lawsuits and advocating for bad land, you know, advocating against bad landlords. But the crisis is so extreme right now. Uh, that we really need a public advocate who is willing to take them on, investigate them, um, and and really uh, call them out before it's a problem. Because once it's a problem, people lose their homes. Once it's a problem, uh, small businesses shut down. And we know what New York looks like right now. Uh, the lights aren't and on anymore. You've got oligarchs buying up these apartments, not paying taxes, and we, the people, are suffering. And we are going to have to let that be the last word with public advocate candidate Nomiki Kantz. Thanks for joining us here on WBAI. And we have reached the end of another show here. Uh, For Jarrett Murphy from City Limits, this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Stay tuned for Max and Murphy in the coming weeks as we continue to bring you interviews with the public advocate candidates and much more on the latest political news in New York. Thanks again for listening and tune in for uh, further interviews with the public advocate candidates tomorrow at 5 p.m. on WBAI.